The Final Furlong Podcast with Emma Kennedy is proudly brought to you by All About Sunday, the ultimate racehorse ownership experience. Download the app and get involved today. All About Sunday, we love racing. And by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. Kaluki offer betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced traders, with instant withdrawals and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kalugi also have betting pitches at tracks across the UK. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk. Hope you had a fantastic bank holiday weekend. Hopefully you made loads of gravy as well as we look back on the Derby, the Oaks, the Coronation Cup and the supporting group races. We'll take a look back at the French Derby as well, all in the company of the champion jockey, Oshin Murphy. Welcome back to the Final Forum Podcast, my friend. Thanks, Emma. It's great to be back with you. And you were actually there uh, at Epsom for both days. What was it like being there in a personal capacity and what was the atmosphere like? Very different, obviously, what I'm used to. Um, first time I've been to Epsom as a race corps and I was thrilled that the weather stayed dry and we saw so many race cores. Uh, it looked really, really busy on Saturday and I felt the standard of racing was super competitive and, and really good. The Derby, to your eyes, did it look up to standard before the race? Yeah. I thought there was a few potential superstar horses and I was excited for the race. And obviously, we'll touch on it in a few moments. There was a couple of horses that were uh, underwhelming and must have underperformed, but the winner was fantastic. Let's start with him, Desert Crown. He lacked experience. That being said, he's blitzed them. He was absolutely cruised into contention. Any doubts about Richard Kingscote's experience at Epsom, they were all quashed. I'm delighted that he kept the ride, that there was no nonsense. He was ice cool and professional himself, but the horse was ice cool and professional. And particularly with what was going on, and we'll expand on that in a little bit as well, he just seemed to take everything in his stride and looks to be every inch the superstar that the Stout team thought he could be. It's amazing, really. A horse on his third start uh, went to Epsom and did not break sweat in the paddock. Walked around there like he was walking around at the foot of Warren Hill before going for a regular canter. And in the race, he jumped and travelled, and it never really looked in doubt up straight. I mean, he hit the front on the bridle, and uh, Richard Kingsley gave him one little reminder behind the saddle, very gentle reminder, and the race was over. And to be honest with you, I think he's value for the winning distance. Uh, he basically won easing down. He showed an electric turn of foot in his previous start in the Dante, and uh, he looked really, really class at Epsom as well. So it's great for the race that a superstar horse, or a horse that we're all very excited about seeing, and everyone is talking about him, has won the race. Because obviously in recent years, uh, you know, horses have, have won the Epsom Derby that have been beaten numerous times before, and that unbeaten factor definitely adds to the Epsom Derby. Yeah, 100%, because you don't know what this horse's limitation is, and he already had the highest rating going in. Those who want to crab the race uh, and say this is a difficult one to assess will point to who Yamal and Westover. I think Westover was very unlucky. Had the horse got a clearer run, it could have. I don't think he'd have won, but I think it would have been a very interesting finish. And who Yamal, you'd know, uh, obviously Andrew Paulding very well. For the second time, these colours have been carried to second place on a, on a big outsider in the race. Because you know Masakela very well too, and, and changing of the guard ends up being the best of the Ballydoll horses. What did you make of, of those in the first four uh, behind Desert Crown? Westover, I felt, was good at Sandown, and a horse that was always going to improve for a little bit further. 
and wit racing. Uh, he's a very beautiful, loose-moving horse. That was a real paddock pick uh, when you watched them before the race. Kuyamal has plenty of experience and definitely came forward from his last run. He definitely improved for stepping up in distance as well. Although on pedigree, we were concerned about that. Masakela, I thought the world of him as a two-year-old. He's out of a Doyen mare, so a mile and a half on, on that side would be no problem. But he's by Elkabir, who is a son of Scout Daddy. And you wouldn't have expected him to stay as well as he did, but he did. He got to the line well. I felt like Wayne Norton didn't go flat out in front, just set a nice even tempo. And his horse was able to stay on well. So changing the guard offered some kind of uh, fix to the race that we can level form off of. Stone Age was a touch disappointing. I'm not sure why. I felt he had a great trip. Uh, Ryan had him settled in a nice position. He didn't really finish as well as I expected him to. Nahani missed the break and was nowhere. Nation's Pride, a horse I really thought could run well. I wasn't sure if he would stay, but I was really impressed with him at Newmarket. I thought he was a beautiful horse, the right type of horse to, to be a real competitor in the derby, and he seemed to underperform. And the rest of them, I, I don't think we have to go into too much depth there. Piz Bedil uh, never looked like winning, unfortunately. I'm not, I'm not sure what was wrong with him. And uh, Glory Day, Sonny Liston. They weren't involved. Royal Patronage, I'm not sure. He had good level of form. Walker Stiles maybe didn't handle the track, but he seemed to handle a similar track fine at Linfield. Um, and he stopped up the straight. Anyway, these things happen, but I was delighted that the runaway winner looks an absolute star. And it's fantastic for the race. He can only beat what's put in front of him, and he's done it really, really well. I suppose the question mark is, when you've got all of these derby trial winners or horses who ran well in a derby trial, like United Nations didn't turn up, but um, uh, it still meant Walk of Stars was was representing the Linkfield derby trial. Nahani, sure. Adam Kirby didn't seem to be too happy with Epsom afterwards, and I think that's a bit of an understatement. Uh, he said the race yeah. was was blown with the with the fireworks. The thing that intrigues me most is. Both Simon Holt and Richard Hoyles, who were on-course commentators, as in Richard Hoyles was working for ITV and Simon Holt was was commentating for Racing TV, Richard Hoyles would have a very in-depth running order as to what's going on the day before. But he said in the Racing Post that he didn't know the fireworks were going to happen. Now, if the commentator didn't know, who the hell did? Adam Kirby's not the only one who's very frustrated that those fireworks went off. And first of all, they were impeding the track uh, and secondly jockeys reported their horses got worked up beforehand there are trainers who were very disappointed with how things were gone Richard Hoyles would have an in-depth documentation about everything that's happening at Epsom that day so that sure. he can't get caught off guard when he's on on mic and he didn't know there was going to be fireworks so what does that say Oshin, about the how it was set up yeah I mean it's very disappointing I I didn't know the fireworks were going to take place either obviously and I was in the in the stand, and I could see this cloud of smoke, uh, which kind of resembled the British flag, but I didn't really feel there was any need for it. And, and the noise, uh, you know, whatever about the horses down at the start, they're probably 800 metres away in reality, maybe a little bit further. Um, but the horses at the stable yard were a similar distance away, and, and you know, the horses being walked around it in front of the stable yard, being unloaded and loaded onto horse boxes. There could have been major repercussions uh, from those fireworks. And 
I, I honestly don't know who thought it was a good idea, but look, hopefully uh, Epsom or the Jockey Club or whoever came up with the with that plan uh, might rethink it and, uh, and yeah, it, it mightn't feature again. We, we would hope for that, you know. Yeah, a daft and ill-thought-out idea is how it was described in the, in the Racing Post today by Peter Scargill. And I can't really disagree with him, to be honest. He, he did talk about uh, how racehorses have that flight response, which, of course, humans yeah. have as well. And that would have been very much activated when you, you were hearing those loud bangs and then seeing all of that. I think the colours were taking in the Queen's own silks as well as the Union Jack, which yeah, okay. I, I think that's what was going on. I'm, I'm trying to figure out why was there green, so I can only assume that's what it was. Uh, right. And so when you break the race down... I was expecting a big run from Bisbedil. Uh, it hasn't come. Uh, Stone Age, looking at, at, at the race, at the initially I thought maybe he hasn't stayed the, the 12 furlongs. And Aidan O'Brien has subsequently said something similar. His relations were best on non-undulating tracks. They're, they're best on more conventional tracks. And maybe it's just that he didn't suit Epsom. But there was nothing about how he travelled that it seemed as though he was on gangly or anything like that. I thought he, he handled Epsom sure. fine. He just, to me, he just didn't stay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was impressed with him at Linkfield, and actually, the horse uh, slipped my mind maybe in the lead up to the race because I had so much faith in Desert Crown. But when I saw him walking around the paddock, uh, I thought, God, I, I really should have taken this fella more seriously, and he should have occupied my thoughts a little bit more because you know he looked the part and he had done nothing wrong uh, in his two starts this season. So, look. Hopefully, uh, Stone Age will bounce back um, and we'll see more of what we saw at Leopardstown later on the season. As regards Westover, if I could pick a ledger horse to ride uh, at this very second, he is the obvious choice. His, For me, he should have been second, um, but the winner was travelling a lot better than he was when he got stopped and he didn't have the pace to get into those gaps um, that were in front of him. Um, Rob also didn't try and muscle his way down the camber to to fight into that um, gap that Marquand took on on Huyamal. And and I suppose Westover is a slightly bigger horse, so he might have come out better in that scenario. And then he may have been second and Huyamal third. But um, at the end of the day, he his horse, I think, will improve um, with racing. And... He, if he went to the Irish Derby, I think, you know, he's one to really seriously consider. Uh, and yeah, I, I thought, you know, those two horses in particular were ones to, to get excited about in those big group ones later on in the year. Yeah, it'll be intriguing what they do at Westover. Does he come to the Curra? Do they put him on a Saint Ledger program? I would like to see him come to the Curra. The question is, what do you do with Desert Crown next now as well? I mean, everything is open to him. Um, yeah. Do you come to the Curra uh, and and just take the Irish Derby because I don't really see what can turn the form around with them. I I think Westover will definitely go to Ireland. I have no idea what Sir Michael will do with Desert Crown. I mean, he could quite easily have a little break now and aim for the Eclipse, um, which would make sense, you know. Uh, and then go for something like the Judmont later on, and then the Irish champion stakes. I mean, that would be the stuff of dreams. He'd be coming back to a mile and a quarter. Uh, but that, for me, maybe 10 furlongs is better than 12, you know? 
Um, he seems to have a lot of pace. It's also great for the sire, Nathaniel. He's a sire of uh, Enable, who we obviously know was one of the best horses in the world, but he hasn't been that well supported by flat mares in the last couple of years. And now he's produced a derby winner and her. And, you know, a lot of other really good uh, staying type of horses like Dashing Willoughby. And, you know, just because they stay a mile and a half, a mile six and further uh, doesn't mean they're not superstars and they're not, you know, they don't have pace. So I just hope he gets some more flat mares and, and they can really bolster the numbers and and uh, the breeders get behind him. With that win, Desert Crown becomes the second highest earning horse for Nathaniel. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Enable, and he was third. Enable pulled in 10.7 million in her racing career. Desert Crown, uh, having won the Derby, is now in a million. Then it's Lady Borthorpe, 669,000. So, look, he's a very good stallion of mares, but you're right, he deserves more more recognition. And, and maybe it'll come now. He cost a fortune yeah, as, a, as, a, as a yearling. Um, we should mention that about Sir Michael Stout's... I mean, he demands an absolute genius. And what he's mm. done and how the whole team were preparing this horse all, all the way along. Like, he had a, a setback in the lead-up to York. So he's gone into the Dante, having just recovered from a setback and puts up that performance. Richard Kingsgoat was asked for an interview with ITV last weekend, so the, a full week before the Derby, and he said no. Uh, and I yeah. completely get that. I completely respect his decision not to seek any additional boost of attention because all, the eyes of the racing world were on him and he just wanted to focus yeah. on what he was doing and I 100% respect that. And I, I, I'm so impressed by Richard and how he's handled the whole thing. I thought the winning interview he did afterwards with both channels, with uh, Racing TV who got a bit of controversy for, for their handling split screens. Oh, dear. Um, but a great interview there and, and a great interview with ITV. And you're essentially being asked the same question over and over, and he just handled it with aplomb. Um, what's he like in, in the, in, in the uh, locker room? Because the, the weighing room, I should say, locker room. This is in the NFL. Um, <laughs> what is he like? Because he seems to be cool as a cucumber. That was only his second derby ride. Yeah, uh, I suppose I forget that he may have only ridden in two derbies. Um, he's ridden quite a lot for Sir Michael Stout over the last two or three years. And uh, before that, he's been riding for Tom Baskerm and Rafe Beckett um, kind of full time. So I know him very well. Um, he has had a lot of success. Um, you know, probably not as many group one winners as people may have suspected, but perhaps after this winner, uh, that will change. He's going to get on a lot more good horses. His position in the saddle and his use of the whip and, uh, you know, the, the way he settles horses and everything is is really good. And um, it'll be interesting to see if opportunities abroad open up, like in Hong Kong and Japan and places like that, because, uh, you know, he certainly fits into that caliber of rider. And he can also do quite light weights. He can do 8-8, eight, eight, I'm sure. So, um, you know, he obviously has a family to look after, but but um, but I think he he's going. He's just his name's going to be in lights for a while now, and I think he can take advantage of it. And for the third year in a row, Frankie replaced the jockey and ends up falling at the back of the telly in the race, um, which just is sort of highlighting the fact that if you give younger jockeys or just 
jockeys the opportunity to succeed and they're on the right horse. I mean, just look back at the last few derbies. It's there to be won. Uh, you know, Emmett McNamara, obviously, Adam Kirby last year, Richard Kingsgood this year, uh, Shamie Heffernan, William Buick, Porrick Beggy, God rest him, Pat Smullen, Frankie, Joseph, Ryan. It's all different names popping up. Um, so if, if, you, if you're on the right horse, you can you can perform. Uh, so I'm delighted that Richard had the opportunity to do so. It shows an awful lot of the loyalty that Sir Michael Stout has and the confidence that he has in his pilots. But he is a trainer to bring this horse through in a back-end maiden last year. You've got the those issues leading up to the his derby trial, which he then passes with flying colours. And even from a training perspective, it would have been very easy for Michael Stout to back off him or go, oh God, maybe he's too too far cooked because it was such an impressive performance in, in the Dante. But it, instead, he just applied all of the finishing perfectly and none of that inexperience was an issue. He was just, I mean, you might question what went on with the, those in behind, but he was the most professional and he he has that electric turn of foot as well. He was terrific. Yeah, he really was terrific. And look, to touch on Sir Michael, uh, he's an incredible man, um, a gentleman and a brilliant guy to ride for. The faith he, his owners, side to hail, uh, their racing managers, Bruce Raymond and Philip Robinson, um, showed in Richard to keep him on the horse and obviously to fill him with confidence before the race I think is is incredible and uh, good on them you know they they deserved a big result like that and, and uh, I'm really thrilled for them What's that? The races that you mentioned are predominantly all 10 furlong races you were talking about the Eclipse and the Jumont International just how important is that going to be for, for this horse is it going to be a case of now perhaps the Irish Derby comes into the equation because really genuinely what beats him from this unless Luxembourg somehow manages to turn back up and I don't think that's going to happen that early this season so that's a group one he can win but in terms of pedigrees it is uh, an issue in racing that the second you win a derby you almost automatically have to prove yourself over 10 10 furlongs over uh, over 10 furlongs in group one company so is that what you think they will ultimately end up doing with them is try to take one of those group one prizes like the Eclipse or the Judmont or the Irish Champion yeah, I don't see why not, you know. Uh, I know they're against older horses, but he would get the allowances. Um, and for me, a mile and a quarter is no problem for him. Uh, I just think it can only add to his value if he wins mile and a quarter group ones. And and for the breed and everything, it would be great if a derby winner truly was a superstar and got rated you know, well into the 120s and we were talking about a horse like we used to talk about Camelot. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that That's obviously Camelot was by Monju out of Tarfa uh, and this fellow's out of by Galileo Stallion. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a, we're talking about a very different type of horse but um, I'm, I'm really happy for the race that that this, you know, really exciting animal has has stamped his authority on it. It was tremendous. It really was. Um, we might have got a bit of a clue as to just how good these Gulmore horses were because the ARC entries came out and the, the horses who were entered for the ARC were Point Lonsdale, Stone Age and Luxembourg of the three-year-old Colts. The rest were all left off. 
So maybe that tells its own right. story about changing of the guard and start of India and United Nations. Um, as for Godolphin, we've mentioned Walker Stars uh, and Hani getting upset with the fireworks beforehand. Nation's pride has run as well as he, as he can do um, in the circumstances. <sighs> Who I, I know that you've you've mentioned Westover for the Saint Ledger. Is there anything of of the other big guns that we should be looking out for to, for a quick turnaround at Royal Ascot to be put on the the path to the Voltager or one of the trials for the St. Ledger. Anything else that intrigues you from the race? It'll be interesting to see what Andrew does with his two and whether he backs them up at Ascot again. Uh, for me, Massacale is a very easy horse to ride and I'd be looking forward to partnering him at Ascot if I was in the saddle, you know. Uh, I think he could easily go for that mile and a half, three-year-old group two. Um, whatever that's called, Emmett. Um, and I don't think we've seen the best of him yet, you know. King Edward the seventh, I think. I think that's it. Yeah, um, I, I'd be pretty sure that's what it's called. But at the same time, I don't want to get it wrong for your listeners. <laughs> Whereas I'm wrong the whole time, so it's fine. I'll <laughs> just throw it on out there. Um, right, we'll go to the Oaks because we'll we'll take in the Arc then as well in terms of Arc betting. Uh, so Tuesday wins for Aidan O'Brien in a record-breaking success. He is now the trainer of uh, most classic winners of all time, uh, standing out on his own with 41. Interesting side note, Oshin. Mm. The last British classic that Sir Michael Stout won was in 2010. Since that time, Aidan O'Brien has won 27 classics in the UK. Thank you, Graeme Cunningham. Thank you, Graeme Cunningham, for that stat. It's insane. It's insane uh, to think that that's gone on this time. Uh, so Tuesday had the certainly had the pedigree for it, uh, sister to Oaks winner Minding, uh, and also it's Irish uh, one thousand guineas winner Empress Josephine, and this was her birthday. She was foaled on the third of June, twenty nineteen, and she storms through to win. I felt oh so sorry for Emily Upjohn though. It went all wrong at the start, and she has run a blinder. Yeah, I mean, Frankie nearly came off her out of the stalls. I watched it again last night. She stumbled and his bum basically ended up uh, being closer to her tail than it was her, her wither. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think if you run the race a couple of times, Emily Upjohn will be Tuesday, but these things happen in racing. And if Tuesday didn't run in the Irish Guineas, I suspect she may have nearly been favourite uh, for the Oaks is that run at Newmarket was very good and she was entitled to improve it going a little bit further, also improve it racing. I know we learned she won the Oaks on her birthday, so she was quite a late fall. So you'd imagine she's strengthening and filling into her frame all the time. Um, so look, yes, I think Emily Upjohn should have won. Uh, I was gutted for Frankie. Obviously, he's a very good friend of mine. Fair play to Ryan. He sat on the inside. He saved ground. He gave the winner the perfect ride. It'd be interesting to see where they go next. Uh, you know, the quotes for the action, arc and stuff like that. Obviously, I love the Pretty Lack to Triumph, but I think it's a little bit early to be getting excited for the race. Um, for me, I think Desert Crown has achieved more than the Oaks first and second. Um, I could be very wrong, and, and the handicapper will obviously have his uh, thoughts uh, tomorrow morning. Um, but yeah, the, I I genuinely felt Emily Upjohn uh, was was you know, probably robbed of the race. Uh, 
but through her own misfortune at the start and the fact Frankie had to go around them, rather Ryan just rode a clever race down the inside, you know? Yeah, she had gotten worked up at York, Emily Upjohn, and that was one of the things that was concerning me in, in terms of her price. Like I thought she might have been too keen, and fair play to Frankie. I know she jumped, the intention wasn't to uh, miss the break like that, but, it, you know, he when she jumped slow, he could have rushed her up and made her keen, and she wouldn't have finished second. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So, his, you know, people saying, oh, he messed up, he couldn't do anything different, you know. When when she missed the break, basically she missed it five lengths after going 100 yards, uh, five lengths last. I mean, what do you do, you know? There's nothing you can do except bite the bullet and just yeah. hope that the race pans exactly. out for you. Um, so I was expecting her to be a little bit worked up, but she wasn't really. Um, but ultimately, it did cost her. Um, she does fall asleep in the stalls or something goes wrong there. So... That's where the, the race is lost. And when you're dealing with horses at these prices, that's why you tend to take them on. Um, Nashua, I think, gives this a, a very strong look. It's the right horses are finishing first, second, and third. Yes. There's, yeah. there's no certainty that Tuesday confirms this form. There's also the possibility that just for your own perspective on this and, and to get your description of it, uh, the fact that Tuesday was only becoming three on that day she has missed out on one, two, three, four, five months of development on some of her rivals, and yet she's placed in two classics and now won an Oaks. That has to be impressive. Yeah, it's extraordinary. I mean, I, I Aidan O'Brien's record in, in classics is incredible, and his handling of that really uh, you know, is out of this world, considering she's had a few hard races in top-class company, in classic company, uh, in her last two starts leading into Epsom. And she was able to do that on you know, the big day. It was, yeah, masterful. Yeah, it was pretty damn impressive. Um, you mentioned the the arc and it being one of your favourite favorite races, but that it can be a bit much to be getting overly excited about it now. Uh, they have gone, and this is from the, the team at Kaluki, uh, Kaluki have gone two to one now about Desert Crown for for the arc. Uh, am I right about that? Maybe it's relatively bigger. Hang on. No, two to one. Yes, yes, yes. Right, right, right. Uh, and then after that, you've got Emily Upjohn. Eight Tuesday is sixteens. Hmm. Mm, that's interesting. There's, there's a lot of water to be pa- passed under the bridge between now and then. Uh, the French uh, Derby winner Vidini as well for Christophe Sumio. Um, he's seven to one. Just to briefly touch on that race, is Shanti. Uh, so this is Bank Holiday Monday. That race was yesterday. I was really taken with how he finished the race off. As was I. Uh, I don't know if he'll stay a mile and a half, though. He's by Churchill. Um, and I thought he cruised round. He cantered into the lead. And I loved the turn of foot he showed to pull away from them. I think modern games may have underperformed a little bit, but he's a good yardstick. Uh, I thought he was keen in front and the ground might have been a touch slow for him and they went an even pace um, so to the eye Christoph's horse was incredibly impressive but was there a lot of depth behind modern gaze, Modern games I'm not so sure you know Yeah, I was disappointed with the likes of ancient Rome they didn't pick up in the manner that I expected them to um, so I, I would agree with you and the, that big question mark about whether or not he can actually stay uh, Grand Prix de Paris maybe next for him 
we shall see. Uh, there's, yeah. there's a bit of a there's a bit of a gap in in terms of the quality. So I'm surprised that Tuesday is as big a price as she is. Thanks, Kaluki. We'll take that. Um, and Emily Upjohn, of course, is is a horse who may very well turn the form around. Uh, Irish Oak seems like the sensible move for both. Sure. Yeah, that's the most obvious choice uh, for both of those, and and it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But I personally feel Emily Upton will will beat uh, Tuesday if they reappear at the car. Yeah, it's going to be an intriguing one to see. Just physically, has Tuesday now caught up, or is Emily Upton just going to be too much? Have too much for? Um, this is quite a sad postscript to the to the Coronation Cup. Hookham gave Owen Burroughs his first Group 1 victory, but has now had surgery on his back and may very well have had his last run, which is a terrible shame because I thought he was very unlucky in Dubai and um, he'd come out and shown himself in, in tremendous form here uh, in the Coronation Cup. Uh, and Owen Burroughs, his numbers have obviously been slashed by uh, Shadwell's move. Um, he's also beaten the right horse in Pile Driver and High Definition. There are two Group 1 class horses yeah. there that uh, he has just left in his wake. It's it's a terrible shame what's ended up happening to him, but we'll, we'll give him his due. I'm sure he'll have a car- career at stud as well. Um, it was it was an impressive performance from him, and he did beat the right horses. Yeah, it was. I feel for Owen Burroughs because I felt like this horse could really, you know, add some more group ones to a CV later on. Uh, I didn't find holes in the form like some people tried to do. I think Pile Driver ran a solid race and probably ran to form. Um, and High Definition had added some substance to it. Minobo probably isn't as quick as, as he looked in Dubai when they hacked around and he just looked like a non-stare. Um, and I, I'd imagine he'll go back up and trip now. Uh, it's gutting for, for Owen Burroughs, but I think at the same time, he's had a group one winner. Uh, things are, are going well. He's not having lots of runners, but I think he's operating at a healthy strike rate. And uh, the help and support he's received from Shadwell, although they're down in numbers, I think will continue. And he's a trainer that uh, that I feel will, will be supported well over you know, the, the rest couple of years or the next couple of years even. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, I think he's now he's now down to ten horses. He's at fourteen runners, but from ten, but fourteen runners and six winners. So he's he's operating yeah. at a forty three percent strike rate like that. When you're reduced to those numbers, given where you were, that's very impressive. And hopefully the doors open now to. I mean, he can take in private owners, so hopefully more will more will follow suit. Um, exactly. They, they've had their big day in the sun. What did you make of, of Pile Driver's run? I thought Frankie did a very good job controlling the race. It's incredible how well that horse relaxed. Um, I've spoken about my opinion of Frankie's ability to relax horses before, but I mean, that horse was in second gear going around there half asleep. He was attacked early, um, and I, I think he put everything in. I, I just feel like Hookham was better on the day, you know? Yeah, I agree with you. And um, high definition is this his trip, or is he just that little bit shy? Yeah, I mean, hard to know. Um, he had a lovely trip around Ryan. He was very relaxed, and you know, at one stage when I saw him creep up the inside, I thought, "Here we go." Um, he probably didn't finish off as well as we suspected, and as you alluded to, 
God knows what will they do, what they'll do next. But this is a serious horse, and it'd be nice to see him, um, you know, living up to the to the expectation he showed as a two year old. Yeah, and he did show really strong expectation, but it just hasn't quite delivered so far. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see exactly what they decide to do with him. He did enter the gate for the St. Ledger run of the race, and that devalues a horse immediately. So as much as we might like the St. Ledger, the fact is, I mean, Coolmore said that to me themselves on a tour one day, that the second you enter the gate for the St. Ledger, that's it. You're immediately devalued as a stallion prospect. So it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do with him. Um, shout up to to uh, Mark Milligan, who put up T-Spirit, who was at least... Ten, I think the horse was 12s, has gone off at 10s and has won. So uh, well done. Well done, Mark the Machine Milligan, tipping yet another Good winner. Honor. Oh, damn right. Uh, did I back the horse? Did I? Uh, Bashikorva <laughs> wins for William Haggis, whose strike rate has just been insanely good. Uh, and Lee Toma won two in the uh, Princess Elizabeth Stakes for um, one of the most important owners and breeders in the game, Chivley Park. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was perfect ride from Marquand. Great placing, uh, really, really fantastic placing from from Haggis, beaten in a listed race by one of Huey Morrison's the time before, and yeah, won a Group Three that I managed to win last year for Archie Watson. I mean, the filly has a really good profile. She was three from three, then she was beaten at Doncaster, end of the season, probably a long year. Uh, bounce back with that run at Goodwood and then to win that interesting she's probably still on the upgrade I don't know where he'd go next you'd imagine he'd probably tilt a group one later on in the season I thought Potapova was the unlucky loser again in the Chivley Park colours she's a small filly but with a serious amount of ability her form again is a little bit in and out but this was a career best by a country mile and there wasn't much strength and depth to the race behind that I felt Roman Mist is a listed winner. She won a listed race at Kempton, but that's probably where she is. Statement had good form last year. Second behind alcohol free at, at Newbury in the Fred Darling, but the rest of them. Miss Fitzherbert, Huey's horse that beat the winner at Goodwood may have been too forward ridden and it'll be interesting to see what happens with her next. Yeah, I completely agree with that as well. The Duke of Cambridge has been mentioned at Royal Ascot for Barashukova. Uh, however, it is only 11 days away. And in fact, sure. shorter than that now uh, by the time we're recording. So kind of frightening to think that Royal Ascot is that close as well, Oshin. Uh, it's exciting though. Yeah. Oh, it's very exciting. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it and looking forward to covering it for you on the final furlong as well. Uh, I did have the honour of speaking with John Gosden on Friday morning on TalkSport 2 and we talked about Magellan and he was quietly confident and then I saw why uh, he's run at a pretty comfortably winner a comfortable winner if I can use my mouth words correctly <laughs> yeah um, I suppose the bottom line is Miguelin showed an awful lot early on in his career um, he got the perfect ride from Frankie from the front uh, he relaxed super he didn't go very fast he was attacked early Frankie kept him balanced saved his smacks and he hit the line better than anything. William looked like he was cantering, but he didn't find as much as, as he looked like he would do. Just a you know, brilliant ride by Frankie. I think that's that is sums it up perfectly. Yeah, it really was some tremendous stuff. And um, we shall see exactly where John Gosnell likes to go with 
Magellan, Magellan, whatever the pronunciation is, I can't remember. Um, but he took everything in his stride, and uh, that was the uh, Group 3, the 310. Um, as you look at Vidani, Tuesday, and Desert Crown, can you envisage a situation where all three line up in the arc? Uh, yeah, yeah, I can, uh, provided they're all healthy. Uh, absolutely. Um, I think it is the, the race that, um, that everyone wants to win and it's at the right time of year. Obviously we haven't spoken about the Japanese horses that may or may not come, but, um, you know, it's truly, it's the one race that I think all the superstars meet, you know? We had the Japanese Derby uh, the weekend before last, and the the owners' colours of uh, Broom were carried to victory with Yutaki yes. Taki on board, isn't that right? Yeah, and he hasn't committed on a international plan. Um, that owner doesn't generally like to go abroad, but you know the Japanese racing interests are firmly international now, and it'll be interesting to see if he can be persuaded. Yeah. Do you think that they would make the decision to come over? Because it is something that the Gerlines talked to us about on the on Talksport uh, a while ago. Slight concern about the the British and Irish breeding industry sleepwalking themselves into trouble, and that the the Japanese will actually be taken over, given the fact that mm-hmm. they're investing in uh, stout pedigrees and stamina, whereas there's a real fixation on speed in the UK and Ireland. Yeah, maybe, but you know those those horses that end up being two milers in Japan, they're running very fast times on quick ground, and they're winning their maidens over a mile and a mile and a quarter again on very quick ground. They're not slow horses, you know. Um, so their breeding thing is is probably right right on point uh, when it comes to trying to win our our best races and. As we saw in Dubai this year, um, it's only a matter of time before they have more success. Yeah, and of course, tuned in the Breeders' Cup level as well. Uh, Deduce is the horse's name we were talking about, so maybe the arc, maybe not. Uh, and we'll see how the Japanese do when they come to, to Royal Ascot as well. Um, did you did you hear from, from anybody saying to you afterwards that why didn't they save those fireworks till after racing? Like, why didn't they have the fireworks as the winner is in the sure. enclosure, like if you want to do that, was there anyone saying that to you or any anybody in the in the breeding industry who was left frustrated with what happened? No, I've seen some of the press uh, reports on it. Look, it, I don't really think there's any need for fireworks, you know. What I don't um, understand, because obviously I've been going racing quite a bit as a spectator, is why there's no live music scattered around different areas of the course. Uh, we see it every other sporting event and it creates an atmosphere and, and really creates a feel-good factor that, um, you know, I, I don't I don't understand why it doesn't very cost very much to have a band or a singer or something or a, a couple of them um, scattered around the edge of a course and it encourages people to spend money in the bars and, and yeah, it just creates a, a good, vibrant atmosphere. It's 
it's extraordinary to me. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I don't quite understand why that isn't promoted more, why it isn't that there are certain areas uh, at the track that are very much about a big band playing, a band, a DJ, whatever, and then other areas can be quieter if you want. Sure, like this, yeah. And I mean, I, I don't mean anywhere near the paddock or, ever, or no. anything like that, but like people, people aren't pitched in one space throughout the day and particularly in those age race cards, uh, you know, you want, you want, uh, okay, Epsom was, was incredible and it was a level of racing, but everyone that goes horse racing for the first, second time, you want them to go home and say, God, that was great fun and how majestic were those animals and I had a few bets and I lost, uh, you know, 20 quid, but we had a brilliant day out. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's the sort of stuff I think, um, the experience we want people to have, you know. Yeah, Maddie talked to us about her article where she was saying this was a really great opportunity to promote the sport, but also to end the stuffiness. And like John Gosden doesn't want to take any questions about the, the horse that Emily up John galloped with, and that's fine. But when you're in a situation where it's a public get together for breakfast at the stars and it's literally in the Racing Post, anonymous horse gallops with Emily Upjohn. Like, that's not very satisfactory. <laughs> it's just not. Um, and and secondly, the, even the price of, of not just going to the races, but how much it is to to buy said alcohol, to buy uh, food uh, at a race course in the UK. Bloody hell, it's not cheap. It's not cheap in Ireland either, by the way. It costs an absolute no. fortune to go racing in the Curra. Yeah, I suppose all sporting events seem to be quite expensive, but... <sighs> Yeah, I I just wonder sometimes. It's obviously how it's expensive to put on the day and uh, and create these events, um, but try and offer people some value because yeah. then you get more people in the door, you know. Uh, and the last thing you want is a big grandstand with no one in it. Um, that that really is unappealing. So trying to get as much people racing and get as much people interested uh, and appreciating what we've got to offer is the key. Yeah, and what you said there is what you've what we've got to offer. That's hugely important because that was the other point Maddie was making is walking around the London Underground and it's these pictures of beautiful people at Royal Ascot. No picture of a racehorse. There's no no yeah. mention of Bayid puts his unbeaten record in the line and you can see it in person in the Queen Anne. Like this ultimately Desert Crown is now the flag bearer of the three-year-olds. Bayid is the flag bearer of sure. older horses. Stradivarius is going to be one of the biggest talking points of the entire week at Royal Ascot. It seems pretty simple that we just sell the sport on our equine talent, yet it almost seems counterproductive to them. They want to look at other ways of promoting the sport. Um, and as as Tony McCormick said on, on TalkSport, thanks to Maddie for mentioning the Great British Racing Twitter account because i completely forgotten the thing even existed. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't get it. So Desert Crown gives you Desert Crown Tuesday and Emily Upjohn are three horses you can hang your hat on. So use them, use them as yeah, horses. Exactly, exactly. To properly sell the sport. How concerned were you with the the stalls incident with, for William Buick in the opening race on day one, on on day two? I thought he may, I thought he may have been concussed. Um, thank God, uh, the the blow to his head wasn't as uh, severe as it may have looked uh, to our eyes. And he was absolutely fine. But yeah, those things, those accidents can happen. The horse next to him just got a little bit excited, uh, kind of reared up and um, and smashed his head to the side and it collided with William's head. 
and a horse's head, I can assure you, is a fair bit heavier than a than a young man's. And um, and yeah, he he was lucky to be to be okay. But thank goodness he was. Yeah, it was. This is one of the things about stalls handlers. They're so professional, uh, and they're so good. And they they when you watch racing as much as as much as I do you get a greater appreciation for them and that goes for every fan of the show as well will understand the the incredibly dangerous job they're doing just look at Haydock a few years ago got between us no harm um, but they tend to get it right on this occasion I don't know whether it was just that the horse got overly worked up but it was it was a bad situation that could have been a whole lot worse and I don't know how Buick didn't, doesn't, didn't have a concussion if that was my head it would have been popped right open um so fair play to Buick and and for being able to to go on with the day but that could have been that could have been really really dangerous um and and that's two incidents then that weren't needed on Derby Day first of all this one which you can say things can get a little bit out of control but Buick had some presence of mind to be able to to grab the souls in the manner that he did yeah yeah he did um he was thinking quickly uh and he managed to step off his horse and let him go. And, you know, that was the right thing to do. Um, no doubt in my mind, he he shouldn't have jumped out of the stalls on the horse's back. Um, look, the, the starter probably didn't see and William probably didn't shout uh, because it all happened so quickly and they were set to jump. Um, I don't think William had the opportunity to say, no, 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 I'm not ready. Um, and that horse didn't cause any issue by going around loose in the race but, you know that it kind of got it it's terrible to see and thank god william was fine but it almost adds to the drama of horse racing that these things these unpredictable events uh happen and um and you know when when success comes uh how many things you need to go right that's a really good point and it also just highlights yet again how dangerous the job of being a jockey is and yeah, how we yeah, really true. need to appreciate what you guys put yourselves through. Uh, it's it's yeah. bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. Um, all right, from the Oaks, Tuesday and Emily Upjohn, which of the two do you think is a bigger danger, or, or Nashua even back in trip, uh, which of those three do you think is a bigger danger to Desert Crown over 10 or 12 furlongs going forward for the rest of the season? Nashua over 10. Um, certainly, I... I was unsure what to, or how to judge her from the Oaks. I, I she was my fancy, um, but she didn't make up any ground in the last furlong. She wasn't running home strongly, and uh, and that was um, that was a touch disappointing. But I think we'll see her in better light uh, back in trip. Um, and of the others, look, I know Tuesday will be improving, um, and she's trained by a genius. Um, but I, I genuinely at this, you know, over the next coming weeks, I think Emily Upjohn is the superior filly. Uh, and if Desert Crown was to meet her, um, I'm just trying to think where they might meet. I don't think they will, but uh, I think Emily Upjohn is the one that's most likely to to beat him um, if they were to meet before September. Her performance to finish in the manner that she did was just breathtaking. Um and for Desert Crown, just to, to map out his season as you would like to see it unfold now? Uh, I think the Irish Derby is an obvious one. Um, personally, uh, I would love to ride Westover in the Irish Derby and Desert Crown to miss the race. 
and to go for the Eclipse and then to ride Desert Crown in the Judmont and then ride him in the Irish Champion and then I would love to ride him in the Ark. Yeah, that's that would be uh, if if dreams uh, could be made this afternoon and someone would hand back my license. So that's that would be the dream. Yeah. Well, just got to show you what a dream lies ahead for Richard Kingscote because one of the best judges in the game is just saying, "I, I think he can sweep all these prizes." Thanks very much. Um, but uh, it, it's Richard's dream, and and best of luck to him. It's absolutely spectacular yeah. to see. Let's. Let's not forget Native Trail either, you know. Um, he's going to step up to a mile and a quarter and I suppose he could likely go to the Eclipse and I think the track would really suit him, you know, where he'd meet the ground. Um, it's obviously a stiff mile and a quarter, uh, but I think he'd stay and, you know, he, he let's not forget, he's achieved an awful lot at us. Um, and Caribus is going to go for the St. James's Palace. And and I would say Charlie Appleby will, will try and keep them apart as much as he can, you know. Why why get one beat against the other? Yeah, 10 furlongs looks like being the right trip for, for Native Trail now. Um, do you think there's any kind of a, an aspect of Pinatubu with him? that Maybe he was just a brilliant juvenile, but not quite as good at three. Um... <laughs> I think Pinatubo was an outstanding juvenile. He wasn't a very big horse, though, and and I, I wouldn't compare him to Charlie's um, exceptional three-year-olds this year. Does that make sense? I yeah, think it does. They're just very different horses, you know? Yeah. You know? It's, a, it's an interesting thing to say about a horse who's finished second in a classic and then won one, but I wasn't overly impressed with him at the Curra. Um, that being said, I think an awful lot of extra native and I think Jim Boulder's probably quite pleased he was only beaten three lengths so we'll see how he develops but um, sure. it's a it's a good shout to make that we still have native trail to come back and there's still Point Lonsdale to come back so we'll, we'll see how all of these and Luxembourg of course Luxembourg the might, great and powerful Luxembourg is to uh, develop onto the scene but I don't think anything would have beaten Desert Crown and then the question just becomes well is there anything that can now stand in his way uh, we shall see as the season unfolds but Eclipse Jumont International Irish Champion Stakes The Ark James Savage, you've been told by Oshin Murphy. That's exactly uh, the direction <laughs> to go in. Uh, Oshin, a pleasure as always, my friend. Thanks so much for your insight and your analysis. And um, we'll be chatting to you again very soon. Thanks very much, Emmett. And thank you for listening. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed a brilliant uh, insight from Oshin Murphy. And uh, we'll be back with you on Thursday as we look ahead to the weekend's racing. Until then, look after yourself. Stay safe. God bless. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by our official syndicate partner, All About Sunday. The latest trainer to join our ranks is Donald McCain. To celebrate, we'll be having a Sunday and Final Furlong Podcast Owners Morning on Saturday, April 16th at Bankhouse Stables to see Raffles Capital and the €150,000 purchase, Invincible Power, the most expensive horse Sunday have ever To join us, download the app or visit allaboutsunday.com. The ultimate racehorse ownership experience. And by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. Kaluki offer betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced traders, with instant withdrawals and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki also have betting pitches at tracks across the UK, including additional 
traditional ones at Cheltenham. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk.